Welcome to the Underclass Podcast with Austin Picard. I'm an independent researcher who can't stomach being lied to on a daily basis by the mainstream media, while we live in a fracturing society launched into parallel realities, falling perfectly onto the two sides of the political spectrum. I remain in the underclass. CIA and the Cult of Intelligence is the first book the U.S. federal government ever went to court to censor before its publication. The CIA demanded the authors delete 339 passages, but they resisted, and in the end only 168 passages were deleted. Written in 1974 by former special assistant to the deputy director of the Central Intelligence Agency, Victor Marchetti, and co-authored by John D. Marks, a former officer of the U.S. State Department. Victor Marchetti used the expression, cult of intelligence, to denounce what he viewed as a counterproductive mindset and culture of secrecy, elitism, amorality, and lawlessness within and surrounding the Central Intelligence Agency in the service of American imperialism. Quote, There exists in our nation today a powerful and dangerous secret cult, the cult of intelligence. Its holy men are the clandestine professionals of the Central Intelligence Agency. Its patrons and protectors are the highest officials of the federal government. Its membership, extending far beyond governmental circles, reaches into the power centers of industry, commerce, finance, and labor. Its friends are many in the areas of important public influence, the academic world and the communications media. The cult of intelligence is a secret fraternity of the American political aristocracy. The purpose of the cult is to further the foreign policies of the U.S. government by covert and usually illegal means, while at the same time containing the spread of its avowed enemy, communism. Traditionally, the cult's hope has been to foster a world order in which America would reign supreme, the unchallenged international leader. Today, however, that dream stands tarnished by time and frequent failures. Thus, the cult's objectives are now less grandiose, but no less disturbing. It seeks largely to advance America's self-appointed role as the dominant arbiter of social, economic, and political change in the awakening regions of Asia, Africa, and Latin America, and its worldwide war against communism has to some extent been reduced to a covert struggle to maintain a self-serving stability in the third world using whatever clandestine methods are available. Episode 5 we find ourselves at a remote settlement in Guyana, formerly named the People's Temple Agricultural Project, better known as Jonestown, in hopes of uncovering the hidden facts that paint a much different picture of what became internationally known as the Jonestown Massacre. Welcome to the event that created the expression, Don't Drink the Kool-Aid. In today's episode, we fall under the spell of revolutionary cult leader Jim Jones as we join the People's Temple in an effort to expose the real truth behind the tragic event that became known as the largest single incident of intentional civilian death in American history until September 11, 2001. According to an article published November 16, 2018 at Time.com, 
on November 18, 1978, willingly or unwillingly, the followers of the charismatic Pentecostal leader Jim Jones drank cyanide-laced fruit punch. Over 300 children were made to drink it, and syringes full of the mixture were emptied into infants' mouths. Those who didn't join Jones, so-called revolutionary suicide, were injected with poison. Others tried to run for their surrounding jungle only to be shot by one of Jones' armed guards. All told, 918 people died that day. In the archives at sdsu.edu, San Diego State University, there is an article with the title, The Secret Life of Jim Jones, A Parapolitical Fugue, where they draw into question the rising death toll, claiming that Revisions to the toll were continual and sickening. 363, 405, 775, 800, 869, 918. To newspaper readers and watchers of the evening news, it seemed almost as if the slaughter was ongoing rather than a fait accompli. Amid the confusion and horror, the escalating body count provoked suspicions, though explanations abounded. It was said, for example, that the count was consistently low because the bodies of the children lay unseen beneath the corpses of adults. Skeptics, however, pointed out that some of the earliest reports listed 82 children among 363 dead, according to the Baltimore Sun, November 21, 1978. A subsequent report by the Associated Press on November 25th listed 180 children among 775 cadavers. The final count, recorded by the Miami Herald on December 17th, reported that 260 children were among the dead. It seemed fair to say, therefore, that the children's presence was known from the beginning and ought to have been taken into account. Moreover, even if the dead had been counted from the air, and even if one assumed that all of the children had been hidden from sight, which his photos attest, was not the case, the body count ought to have been more than 600 from the very first day. It was almost a week before the body count stabilized at 918. Skeptics wondered how it was possible that 363 bodies had concealed 550, partic particularly when 82 of the 363 were said to have been small children. Even mathematically, and from its inception, Jonestown did not make sense. Something was wrong with the reports from the very first day. From first initial reports, like this headline from the New York Post, November 21, 1978, three days after the massacre, Colt dies in South American jungle, 400 die in mass suicide, 700 flee into jungle. Out of the alleged 1,100 members of the People's Temple present at Jonestown, the body count originally agreed upon by United States military authorities on the site, as well as the Guyanese who performed the initial body count, the official number was 408. Reportedly, 16 survivors returned to the U.S., although later it was confirmed a total of 33 people survived the event. During a State Department briefing November 20th, John A. Bushnell, 
Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Inter-American Affairs, said, quote, We believe the area in and around Jonestown has been thoroughly covered and no trace of additional survivors has appeared. However, we believe no stone should be left unturned, so we continue our search. The first to arrive were around 100 Guyanese troops ordered to search the jungle for survivors. The London Sunday Times reported that soon, American Green Berets were on the site, as well as almost 600 of the best-trained commandos from the British Black Watch Special Forces Regiment, who had coincidentally been running training exercises nearby. According to the New England Journal of Medicine, only one-third of the bodies at Jonestown had been positively identified more than six months after the massacre. No death certificates had been obtained on any of those who died in Guyana. A medical, a medical legal autopsy ought to have been performed on every body to establish the cause and manner of death in each case. Mishandling of the bodies quickly became a major focus of concern in the case, according to Jonestown Archives, again found at sdsu.edu. Indeed, six leading medical examiners described the handling of the bodies as inept, incompetent, embarrassing, and a case of doing it backwards. On the 15th of December, 1978, the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology performed autopsies on seven people who had died in Jonestown. These represented the only extensive post-mortem examinations conducted in the United States, and indeed the only examinations beyond the cursory examinations on scores of bodies by Guyana chief pathologist Leslie Mutu in the first few days after the Jonestown deaths. Despite the efforts of the pathologists, the autopsies revealed little about the nature and the manner of the deaths, and most of their conclusions were speculative and or based upon media accounts of the deaths in Jonestown. The combination of heat and rain in Jonestown had accelerated the decomposition of all the bodies before they were removed. The further delay resulting from negotiations between the U.S. and Guyana government, and then within the U.S. itself on how to dispose of the bodies, also contributed to the deterioration of physical evidence. The greatest destruction of forensic information occurred, however, when the bodies were embalmed prior to the autopsies. While the American media focused almost entirely on the cyanide-laced Kool-Aid painting a picture of a voluntary mass suicide, very little attention was paid to the Guyanese chief pathologist, who made, we made mention of earlier, who initially examined the bodies in the first few days, named Dr. Leslie Mutu, who had reached a much different conclusion. Based on an amazing in-depth article by John Judge originally published in 1985 with the title The Black Hole of Guyana, The Untold Story of the Jonestown Massacre. Quote, Dr. Mutu had found fresh needle marks at the back of the left shoulder blades of 80 to 90 percent of the victims. Others had been shot or strangled. One survivor reported that those who resisted were forced by armed guards. The gun that reportedly shot Jim Jones was lying nearly 200 feet from his body. Not a likely suicide weapon. As chief medical examiner, 
Mutu's testimony to the Guyanese grand jury investigating Jonestown led to their conclusion that all but three of the people were murdered by persons unknown. Only two had committed suicide, they said. Several pictures show the gunshot wounds on the bodies as well. The U.S. Army spokesman, Lieutenant Colonel Schuler, said, No autopsies are needed. The cause of death is not an issue here. The forensic doctors who later did autopsies at Dover, Delaware, were never made aware of Dr. Mutu's findings. As we pivot away from analyzing the forensic evidence in the case, or lack thereof, we shift our focus to the cult of personality himself, the Reverend Jim Jones. Before starting the People's Temple in 1955, now widely considered to have been a doomsday cult centering around a version of communism he called apostolic socialism, Jim grew up in abject poverty in a shack with no plumbing or electricity in the rural town of Lynn, Indiana. He was known as a child to regularly hold mock funeral services for dead animals, attempting to recruit other children to attend. One neighbor child remembered a time Jim killed a cat with a knife for one of these funerals. Other claims of Jim as a child saying he was guided by the angel of death and would put other children into life-threatening situations. His neighbors claimed to have some sympathy for his poor circumstances, but he was an unusual child obsessed with religion and death. He became an avid reader of Gandhi, Karl Marx, Joseph Stalin, and Adolf Hitler, and in years later even told his wife that Mao Zedong was his hero. Jim started as a Methodist student pastor in 1952, until leaving the denomination and falling into Pentecostalism and the latter reign movement by 1954, hosting healing revivals with prophecies of possessing supernatural gifts and personal claims of divinity. Finally, leaving Pentecostalism and the latter reign movement, People's Temple joined the Disciples of Christ denomination where they remained until the Jonestown Massacre. By the late 1960s, Jones would make claims of being a return of Elijah the prophet, the voice of God, a manifestation of Christ, along with the promotion of doomsday scenarios saying the end of the world was imminent. According to the official narrative, by 1961, Jones warned his congregation that he had received visions of a nuclear attack that would devastate Indianapolis, and in less than a year decided to travel to South America to scout for a site to relocate People's Temple. Jones was supposed to have made a stop in the British colony of Guyana in order to hold revival meetings before continuing on to Belo Horizonte, Brazil, where he rented a three-bedroom home for himself and his family until they moved to Rio de Janeiro in mid-1963. Jim Jones returned to Indianapolis by December 1963 and told his congregation that the world would be engulfed by nuclear war on July 15, 1967, leading to a new socialist Eden on Earth, and the temple must move to California for safety. By 1965, Jones and his followers moved near the city of Ukiah in Redwood Valley, California. After moving to California, 
Jones increased his political activism, particularly in San Francisco, and started to make powerful contacts with local and state politicians, reportedly even being an integral part of George Moscone's 1975 successful run for mayor due to the rising number and membership of People's Temple. He was then rewarded by the newly appointed mayor with the position of chairman of the San Francisco Housing Authority Commission. Future mayor of San Francisco, Willie Brown, although at this time in 1976, Mr. Brown was only a member of the California State Assembly, hosted a testimonial dinner for Jim Jones, where he was quoted saying Jones was a combination of Martin Luther King Jr., Angela Davis, Albert Einstein, and Mao, and that he's what you should see every day when you look in the mirror. The governor, Jerry Brown, was also in attendance at this dinner. Jones made connections with important journalists at prominent news organizations, including the San Francisco Chronicle, which in turn provided a lot of favorable press throughout the early 70s, and he had become known for having political rallies at the temple for prominent politicians, such as Harvey Milk, who wrote to Jim after giving a speech at one of these events. Quote, Reverend Jim, it may take me many a day to come back down from the high that I reached today. I found something dear today. I found a sense of being that makes up for all the hours and energy placed in a fight. I found what you wanted me to find. I shall be back, for I can never leave. End quote. Not long after the relocation to California, the first reports of abuse began to surface. Jones had been gradually exercising more and more control over the lives of the members, establishing something he called the Planning Commission, in order to direct the communal lifestyle of People's Temple. Members who joined but worked on the outside were directed to turn over their income to the church in order to benefit the community. The members who required free room and board turned over all of their assets. Members of the Planning Commission were tasked with disciplining anyone who was not following the rules or fulfilling Jim's vision, and according to investigative journalist Tim Reiterman, in his book originally published October 1, 1982, Raven, the untold story of the Reverend Jim Jones and his people. Jones' control over the members of People's Temple extended to their sex lives and who could be married. Some members were coerced to get abortions. Jones began to require sexual favors from the wives of some members of the church and raped several male members of his congregation. Members who rebelled against Jones' control were punished with reduced food rations, harsher work schedules, public ridicule and humiliations, and sometimes with physical violence. As the temple's membership grew, Jones created an armed security group to ensure order among his followers and to guarantee his own personal safety. Allegations of abuse started to go public by October 1971, and by 1973, eight members of People's Temple made accusations of abuse against the Planning Commission and People's Temple staff members. They accused members of Planning Commission of being homosexuals and questioned their true commitment to socialism before leaving the People's Temple. Jones became convinced he was losing control and needed to relocate People's Temple to escape the mounting threats and allegations. March 9, 2013, 
David Parker Weiss wrote an article with the title, Sex in People's Temple, once again found at sdsu.edu and put forward the evidence that on December 13, 1973, Jones was arrested and charged with lewd conduct for allegedly masturbating in the presence of a male undercover LAPD vice officer in a movie theater restroom near Los Angeles, MacArthur Park. The Montreal Gazette, March 28, 1979, published a piece called Lewd Case Against Jones, a Puzzle, stating, On December 20, 1973, the charge against Jones was dismissed. Though the details of the dismissal are not clear, the court file was sealed, and the judge ordered that records of the arrest be destroyed. By this time, Jones started suggesting a long-term relocation outside of the country in order to settle his socialist paradise, and perhaps avoid any future hindrance due to legal allegations and media scrutiny. His once favorable press coverage began to morph into much more negative stories consisting of ex-members of People's Temple accusing him of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. The first group of People's Temple members arrived in a remote location in Guyana by December 1974 and started operating the People's Temple agricultural project that would soon become known as Jonestown. Now that we've made it to our final destination and have given a proper introduction to our leading man, it's time to shift gears and properly introduce our white knight of the story, our Harvey Dent, if you will. Congressman Leo Ryan, member of the Democratic Party and served as U.S. Representative from California's 11th Congressional District from 1973 until, spoiler alert, 1978, when he was assassinated during the Jonestown Massacre. Also the first and only U.S. congressman killed in the line of duty. He was known at the time for his vocal criticism of the lack of congressional oversight of the Central Intelligence Agency, and had co-authored the Hughes-Ryan Amendment, passed in 1974, which requires the president to report covert CIA activity to Congress. By 1978, Congressman Ryan had been approached by members of the Concerned Relatives Group with claims of widespread abuse, human rights violations, and people being held against their will at the People's Temple Jonestown settlement. According to the journalist and author Tim Reiterman, who also accompanied Representative Leo Ryan on his investigative trip to Jonestown, on November 14th, Ryan left Washington and arrived in Georgetown the capital of Guyana, 150 miles from Jonestown, with his congressional delegation of government officials, media representatives, and some members of the concerned relatives. Based on a 1979 Congressional Foreign Affairs Committee report on Ryan's assassination, three days later, on November 17th, Ryan's aide, Jackie Spire, the United States Embassy Deputy Chief of Mission, Richard Dwyer, a Guyanese Ministry of Information officer, nine journalists, and four concerned relatives, representatives of the delegation, boarded a small plane for the flight to Port Cayuma Airport, a few miles outside of Jonestown. According to a San Francisco Chronicle article with the title, Surviving the Heart of Darkness, they initially 
felt welcome until two temple members named Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby tried to slip a note to Congressman Ryan that read, Please help us get out of Jonestown. Gosney reportedly tried and failed to impress upon Ryan the extreme danger that his delegation was now in. The Foreign Affairs Committee report shows that after 3 p.m. the next day, 14 Temple defectors and Larry Layton, posing as a defector, boarded a truck and were taken to the airstrip, with Ryan wishing to stay another night to assist any others who wanted to leave. Shortly thereafter, a knife attack on Ryan failed while he was arbitrating a family dispute on leaving. Against Ryan's protests, Dwyer ordered Ryan to leave, but he promised to return later to address the dispute. According to numerous reports, the group left Jonestown, arriving at the Cayuma airstrip by 4.45 p.m., where they had two twin-engine transport planes, one of them being a smaller six-seat Cessna, which was taxiing at the end of the runway when Larry Layton, posing as a defector, opened fire on the people inside the plane. Almost simultaneously, several People's Temple members, we now know were members of Jim's elite Praetorian Guard, he called the Red Brigade, brandishing assault rifles, who had followed the group from Jonestown on a tractor-drawn trailer, opened fire on the transport plane killing Congressman Leo Ryan, three journalists, and a defecting Temple member while wounding nine others. Jim Jones called the residents to the main pavilion shortly after Leo Ryan had left to begin recording the final White Night, the Jonestown death tape. Before the news became public, wife of Ryan's aide, William Holsinger, received three threatening phone calls. The caller allegedly said, Tell your husband that his meal ticket just had his brains blown out, and he better be careful. The U.S. House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee interviewed the very same William Holsinger, aide to Congressman Leo Ryan, May 15, 1979, six months after the tragedy at Jonestown. If I had appeared on a uh, public television uh, several months ago with a group of uh, black professionals, mostly uh, psychologists and doctors, they invited me to appear today provide information that they thought might be, uh, that I might be able to help with this forum today, with their research. Uh, I appeared in Washington in February before the International Relations Committee and uh, made some statements and some charges and documentation which resulted in the Foreign Relations, Foreign Affairs Committee, or International Relations Committee, whatever they call it, today. Uh, they voted to ask the House Select Committee on Intelligence to investigate my charges. And they are currently investigating those charges by the House Select Committee on Intelligence. Can you tell us what the charges are? Well, the charges basically amounted to uh, CIA contact with both the Burnham government there and with the People's Temple. Uh, that originally, it was my belief at the time I went to Washington, that the purpose of our involvement there was to support the government of Burnham for a commercial reason, and uh, they used the People's Temple almost as enforcers to help support an unpopular government there to keep control of the government of Guyana. Uh, they, we knew that the, there had been an article in the San Mateo Times in December of 79, which indicated that the deputy chief of mission there, Richard Dwyer, uh, was in fact the CIA station chief. And he was the one that went to Jonestown with 
for his party, and he claimed to be slightly wounded, but there was a tape made at the time of the murders and suicides there with Jones yelling, get Dwyer out of here, get Dwyer out of here. And the indications are that it was Dwyer who went back into Jonestown after Lee was murdered and was there at the time. And there's great questions, just who shot Jim Jones and why, whether Jones was shot to shut him up. Uh, the question also as to how all these people died and just when they died, which is all documented here. But soon I came back from Washington because of my testimony. I started getting documentation from a Berkeley psychologist called the Penal Colony here and from the Alliance for Preservation of Religious Liberty in Washington, which indicated other things, one of which was that George Philip Blakey uh, was a top Jones aide. And he was the man who arranged the purchase or the lease of the land in Guyana, provided the money and arranged the lease down there in 1974. He also was tracked now as being a CIA operative in uh, Angola in 1975 with UNITA. He's also, he's also the same guy who was a top aide who arranged all this purchase in the finances, is also the husband of Deborah Layton Blakey, who fled Jonestown and made those charges. He's a brother-in-law of Larry Layton, who was, who was acquitted yesterday. And it's interesting to note that the Insula Times Tribune says yesterday, the jury acquired, in acquitting Layton, the jury appeared to have agreed with the defense contention that Layton was brainwashed and drugged at the time of the shootings could not be held criminally responsible. But the gist of what I'm getting to is this. I've received a lot of documentation, which I will value to hear today, that indicates the, poss the strong possibility that Jonestown and the People's Temple was in reality a mass mind control experiment conducted by the CIA as a follow-up to something called MK Ultra, which they conducted from the early 50s through 1974. They used to use the VA hospital and state hospitals. They used the federal and state penitentiaries for their experiments. Do you think that Jim Jones was actively involved with the CIA? I do now. Do you have any conclusions as to how the people died in Jonestown? Yes, uh, I have part of our documentation here uh, is a report from, uh, which is uh, attached here. The chief medical examiner in Guyana is a Dr. Leslie Moto. He reported, and this is attached here, his opinion that more than 700 of those bodies found at Jonestown were not suicide victims but were murdered. They have based this on the injection marks in the upper arm. Page four of my, of my uh, statement here. By injection, yes, and by, and by, uh, and, and by uh, gunfire. There were a lot more people killed by gunfire than they've ever admitted so far. We have heard reports that there, had, there were 50 of them, approximately 50 men with guns ringing around there, so people couldn't get out, and very few of them did get out. Uh, so it's our con according to the uh, chief medical officer in Guyana, most of the people down there were murdered rather than suicide. Who is suppressing all of this? Are you uh, implying the CIA was active in the suppression? Yes, I'm suggesting to you that uh, a lot of things that don't make sense here. I'm suggesting that the long delay in anyone getting in, or the press getting in there, or very many people all getting in there for several days, was caused by a deliberate attempt to manufacture the story, which has now been accepted and sold successfully to the American people. And what is that story that you think the people are falsely accepting? That, in effect, this was a large group of uh, uh, disillusioned or uh, uh, rather uh, uh, 
disoriented black people who went down to Guyana and who turned their backs in this country and committed suicide, and uh, we might as well we're good, we're, we're rid of them, and that's just an aberration type of thing. I think that's the story that's been peddled. Uh, when you see the documentation here, you'll begin to wonder yourselves why the first reports were 350 people died or 400 people died, and for several days that was reported, and many started finding more bodies. When the first reports were that 500 fled in the jungle, the people examined the bodies the first time and counted them, counted them by name, by number, types of people, men, women, and children, turned them over. Then a few days later, they claimed to have found uh, two and three stacks of bodies underneath those. You know, it, uh, it, it boggles the mind, the stories that were passed out, but they apparently have uh, gotten away with, I think, with one of the greatest fabrications of, 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 of recent years. What significance do you attach to the fact that the leadership of the temple was largely white and the membership of the temple was largely black? I mentioned that in here. I think that that's part and parcel of the whole thing. I think that uh, this is what caused me very suspicious about this whole experiment, about, this whole, about the, the possibilities here. You're, the, the cadre was all white. And yet we think of Jonestown as a bunch of black people who were committed suicide without mentioning that white cadre. And that doesn't quite add up. I think, that's, I think there are racist overtones to the whole thing. What kind of racist overtones? What are you exactly alleging? I'm alleging that the media picture that was printed, that uh, was painted rather, and then brought him out in print and so on, was that uh, you don't have to worry about these people because they're crazy, they'll do anything, and they're not like us. It's my impression at this time that they were conducting some sort of uh, mind control experiments. For example, they had a very modern hospital done, which they bragged about. So modern that in that population, they had medical checkups for, for everyone every day. So there's no need for that unless you're conducting experiments where you're having control groups and you're giving people, and they gave them their, they gave them their vitamins every day. And it's my guess that they were just using them as guinea pigs to see what they could do under isolated circumstances. They'd take them off into a jungle someplace far away from everybody, they get them there somehow, and then they're able to see how these various drugs work on different groups. Fletcher Prouty served as Chief of Special Operations for the Joint Chiefs of Staff under President John F. Kennedy and held the rank of Colonel in the United States Air Force, subsequently becoming a critic of U.S. foreign policy, particularly the covert activities of the CIA. He pushed back against the official story behind Jonestown, saying, The Joint Chiefs of Staff had prepared air shipments of hundreds of body bags. They didn't normally keep that many in any, in any one place. Within hours, they began to shuttle them down to Georgetown, the main city. They couldn't possibly have done that without prior knowledge that it was going to happen. It shows that there was prior planning. We would provide the agency with the things they were requesting without any questions. That's the way the business works. The JCS, Joint Chiefs of Staff, wouldn't have moved at all on their own. They didn't give a damn about Jonestown. These are the kinds of earmarks that define the hand of American intelligence. Jim Jones was a CIA asset who told his neighbors while he was in Brazil in the early 1960s, supposedly scouting locations for the church, that he was employed by the Office of Naval Intelligence. My ultimate goal for this episode was to make a compelling case that the real cult that caused the Jonestown Massacre was what Victor Marchetti called so long ago the cult of intelligence. We end our deep dive with one final statement 
in an effort to further drag the CIA face down through the mud. James Gordon Gritz was a former United States Army Special Forces officer and worked in the office of the Secretary of Defense. Following his formal retirement at the rank of Lieutenant Colonel in 1979, he also trained the Afghan Mujahideen in America on behalf of the government. In an interview in regard to his books, Called to Serve and A Nation Betrayed, in 1995 he said, A few weeks ago, there was a report out of Montreal about people winning cases against the CIA because they were utterly abused in the mental health clinic that was set up by the CIA in Canada. That all came down under Alan Dulles, who tried to make a Manchurian candidate. I think the Jonestown incident was an extension of, in search of, the Manchurian candidate. I think those people were conditioned to act in certain ways and would have probably just moved from Montreal to Guyana. In this case, you look at Jim Jones' background carefully. He had a lot of intelligence contacts there for doing exactly what he did. Of course it went haywire. God be praised. Just like the Montreal Health Institute. It self-destructs because it's not good in its essence. Most of these folks involved were street people, so they didn't have people who knew where they were or were concerned about their well-being. It escalated once they killed Congressman Leo Ryan. Basically, they had no other way to go, so they just tried to self-destruct the whole mission. And that means the death of hundreds of people. As I point out in the book, the medical examiner there made some startling statements, and we wouldn't even allow the bodies to be properly examined when they were brought back to the East Coast and turned in. So obviously it was a cover-up. Jonestown, I think, was an extension of MKUltra from the CIA. There are probably other experiments going on. Alan Dulles is dead. That doesn't mean that the idea of controlling people's minds and behavior is dead. And I still think that is a goal. Mm -hmm.